0: Everyone, let's stand and fly.
1: tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a blessing? Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning to have this time of worship. And Father, as we are here today, I pray that we can just lift up Jesus in our hearts and we can do so with our voices and that we can engage with him with our minds. Lord, as we're gathered here today, it's all about you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Everybody's bright and chipper. That's great. Today, we're here to lift the Lord up together. We're glad that you've chosen to do that with us. Please make sure you remember to fill out your connection card. Uh, for those of you who are online, there's instruction you can do. There's a phone number below the uh, video that you can do that with. And uh, we would love to be able to, kin- to keep in contact with you through that. Well, at this time, the praise team is going to continue singing these songs for us and lifting us as we sing together to the Lord. Sit. <laughs> going to begin a new four-week series entitled Jesus On. And during these, four, during these four weeks, we're going to unpack the things that Jesus has to say concerning influence, sin, sharing, and what we do with wealth. So where we are today as we talk about Jesus on influence, you, have, you ask yourself the question, how did you come to faith in Jesus? Were you brought to a place where you decided that you needed Jesus and that you needed to be baptized in him? Did the process begin with a revelation on your own? Or was there someone who helped you understand that you had this great need that you always knew but you didn't quite know what it was? Was there someone in your life that showed you what it looked like to follow Jesus? Did someone in your life influence you to follow Jesus? See, we have a very popular thought in our society that's getting more and more popular. It basically says this, your faith is a personal thing and it should be kept to yourself. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody wants to hear it. You do what you want, unless it doesn't jive with what we want you to do, but that's another point. But we don't want to hear it. Do you feel that pressure in the public arena where you're supposed to just kind of sit there and keep your mouth shut, not say anything, just let the world burn down around you and just watch it burn? See, we have to ask ourselves as Christians, how are we going to live out our faith in a dying world? Are we going to follow that philosophy that says, sit down and shut up and don't say a word? Are we going to lock the church doors and just pray that none of those sinners come in and stain stain us? Is that what we're going to do? Are we supposed to blend in with the world so much that what we have to do when we come here on Sunday is we have to put on our Christian mask So that we blend in. Imagine if the early church had taken the stance concerning faith that you should keep it to yourself. Imagine if the 12, when Jesus ascended, said, Man, you know, we don't want to get ourselves in any trouble here, and we know that we're going to get in trouble if we say anything, so we're just going to keep our mouth shut. Where would we be today? One word, we'd be lost because there would be no faith, it wouldn't be here. In the final beatitude, Jesus described the attitude that the world would have toward citizens of the kingdom of God in verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12 in chapter 5. But now what we're going to look at is just the opposite. Jesus is going to describe the influence that the kingdom is supposed to have on the world. In other words, there's an expectation from Jesus. When Jesus ascended in the 12 or 11 and then later the 12 were left behind, he didn't expect them to go hide. He didn't expect them to keep their mouths shut. He didn't expect them to just watch the world burn around them. He expected them to influence, to be an influence. And one of the things that we have to realize today is in the church, as Christians, just this building standing here is not good enough. That's not influencing people. We'll catch people as they come in, okay? But what, what greater model would there be than each one of us trying to influence those in our circle? And try to help them to see their need. There's one word that sums up the way our lives are to be lived as citizens in a foreign land, and that word is influence. If you follow social media, which sometimes we probably shouldn't, but when you when you flip that on, you'll see these people, they're called influencers. Have you ever heard of them? You ever heard that term? Oh, and, and somebody will say, Well, what is your job? And on their eye, on their tax thing, influencer. I'm like, where can I get a gravy job like that? I don't know. But these influencers on social media have sometimes millions of followers. And it's not because necessarily some of them because they do have talent. Uh, There's a young lady, I think in Vegas, who plays bass guitar and she's like nine years old. And this girl's got, I don't know how many followers she has, but she's just so good at playing bass, it's captivating. But other ones, they really don't have any talent. They're just outrageous. But nonetheless, these influencers on social media, they make a lot of money a lot of it because and and on top of that organizations are running to them saying we want you to peddle our products um and so they end up getting a lot of products surprising it might surprise you but i actually follow a few cats you know and i'm sure the cats don't get any money but the the people that own the cats are always showing yeah this company showed this and they want us to and they basically want to say well if that cat gets that my cat should have that too you know So we understand the concept of influencers, but really the greatest influencers on the planet should be Christians, because we have the greatest thing to share with people, greater than any uh, cement mixer, litter box, or any makeup, anything these other people are trying to say. We have something to share with the world. We're called to be influencers. Well, we're going to see how that works today as we're in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. So if you'll turn your Bibles there, you can follow along screen. Uh, we will uh, we'll start there this morning with verse 13. This is Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Tons of people in the crowd listening, and here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. So the first thing we see this morning is we're called to influence by flavoring. Influence by flavoring. Jesus begins in verse 13 by telling the crowd that you are the. he's look look at these folks and he's talking to his disciples but he's trying to get the whole crowd to buy into this that the fact that they are the salt of the earth now who wants to be salt and why would anyone to want to be salt and by the way Lot's wife I don't think she would like to be salt you know if you read the old testament you see what happened to her it probably wasn't real appealing to her Why did Jesus use this metaphor to highlight this important issue of influence? In the ancient world, as well as modern times, salt basically, and there's probably some more, but basically has four uses. Number one, it's used for preservation. It preserves things. It's used for seasoning. Any of you who've eaten something that doesn't have much flavor, you put a little salt, it's like, ah, that's good. It's used for fertilizer, and it's used as an antiseptic. Now, when you break down these uses of salt, it becomes very clear and very evident what Jesus is saying here as he uses this metaphor. First, when you look at salt as a preservative, and he's saying, okay, you're the salt of the earth. What is he saying when you look at it from a preservative standpoint? Well, in the ancient times, salt was used, and it's still used today, to keep food from becoming rancid. Even today, in many parts of the world where refrigeration's not very easy or very possible, it is used when things are dead or dying, they begin a state of decay. So if you slaughter an animal and you're going to use it for food, it starts to decay immediately. And salt was used to slow down that decay so that your steak doesn't come back all green and nasty looking. Um, or for those who eat vegetables, I don't know what to tell you, but anyway. <laughs> salt couldn't take something that was already decayed and restore it. In other words, if you got a steak and it's just it's just rancid and stinky. You can't just throw some salt on it and fix the problem. But it slows the decay. It does that. Now, we're living in a world that's dying. It's in a state of decay because of the fact that it's dying. And Christians are to be the agents that are, tr- that are trying to help keep the world from decaying any more than it already is. We We are called to, be that pres- we're called to help be the preservative for the dying world. We're trying to help keep it from stinking worse, getting more rotten. Christians are responsible for preserving morality, justice, social conscience. We are responsible for government. You know, we complain about government all the time. Well, you know what? If Christians were doing their job, we wouldn't be having the problems that we're having because we would elect people that would do the right thing instead of the thing that gets them elected all the time. See, God instituted the state and the home for these purposes. The state was called to help try to keep society from just spiring down the toilet. And the home was supposed to be the foundation of that. But without the church, without Christians, these things lack salt and light. And when you look at it over history, the church is credited for many advances in science, in medicine, prison reform, orphanages, medical issues like even hospitals. uh, the, uh, the abolition of slavery, child labor, education, and literacy. The church throughout history has influenced the world in these positive ways. The kingdom of God has flavored the world in significant ways. Can you imagine a world, living in a world where there was no moral compass? Hmm. No boundaries? Man, this is sounding familiar, isn't it? no standards of decency. Can you imagine if the world had no Christians to help flavor that world? And we've seen parts of the world where there's no God, and it's horrific. And society's trying to push God out of everything. You better be careful what you wish for, because that's not a world I want to live in. I don't know if you do, but that just would be brutal. It would be brutal. And by the way, before Christianity, it was a very brutal world. Not that it is now at times, but when you take Christians out of the equation and we're not flavoring, preserving society, it's going to get worse. Christians are called to influence society so it doesn't keep getting worse and worse and worse. You know, it's getting so bad in education because Christians have been pulling out of education that kids don't even know what what gender they are anymore. Or they're told, well, you can be any gender you want, and that just laughs in the face of science. Your DNA doesn't lie. For salt to work, though, it has to be mixed in with, its, with what it's trying to preserve. In other words, you've got that meat you're trying to preserve. You can't keep the salt in the salt shaker and the meat over here and, and expect it to work. It won't. Just like the church, we can't just be in this building and not involved in the world around us because it doesn't work. We have to get out of the salt shaker. We have to be involved in all aspects of life. If there is an area of life that we are not happy with, we should be influencing that area. We should be taking the gospel to that area. We should be, in the, be the example. If you're going to be a politician, you should be an example of what it means not to be greedy and self-serving and self-centered because that's what we have right now, folks. And we complain about it. And what do we do? We keep voting the same people back in. It's, this isn't a Democrat or Republican thing. It's a people thing and we keep putting the same people back, and then we wonder why we're in such dreadful shape, where we're spending money in areas that we have no business spending money, but we keep voting for it. Did you know climate change is the most important thing in this world right now? That's what we're being taught. Where are the Christians influencing this? We're just sitting back and wasting money, wasting time. We are indoctrinating our young people into this garbage because we are not being an influence. We have to get out of the salt shaker and into the world. Salt was also used as a fertilizer. For those of you who don't farm, obviously you put fertilizer in the soil because it's lacking some nutrients of what you're trying to grow. So plants, when you fertilize the soil, plants grow better, crops are more robust, and following Jesus, the followers of Jesus are called to bring nutrients into the world that are missing. Because without Christianity, without our faith, without our faith being an influence in the world, we end up, the, the soil doesn't, isn't, isn't fertile. But for salt to be effective as a fertilizer, guess what? Once again, it has to be mixed into the ground. Salt was used as an antiseptic for wounds to keep them from getting infected. You know, if you get a cut and you do nothing with it, and you, you get around, and you get all kinds of germs, in it, and eventually that thing could be infected, and it could eventually kill you. A small cut could actually kill you at some point if you don't treat it. And so, so many wounded people needed some, they needed antiseptics, so salt was used. But today, when we look around the world, we see so many people who are wounded. I'm not talking about a cut on their skin. They are wounded in their souls, in their hearts. They are damaged goods, and we need to be those, that, that antiseptic that brings the gospel to help heal those wounds. Have you seen people destroyed or literally killed because of their internal wounds? Not physical, but emotional. It leads to all kinds of bad things. And then have you ever eaten something that needs some flavor? Now, my wife, she loves her some mashed potatoes. We don't eat them much because they are too many carbs, unfortunately. But have you ever eaten mashed potatoes and put no seasoning in them? <laughs> yeah, they're kind of bland, aren't? Well, yeah, some of you will do that, but that's you're the outlier, but but, uh, it doesn't have much flavor, does it? Uh, We went to, we went off-roading yesterday with a bunch of people from church, and some people with us got rhubarb pie, okay? And my understanding is rhubarb takes on the flavor of what you put in it, so strawberry rhubarb is going to taste like strawberry. I'm just thinking, why don't you just eat strawberry pie? I don't get the thing. I I, I don't eat that stuff, but the thing is, potatoes, if you don't season them, you can eat them But they're just bland. And so you put a little salt into them, guess what happens? Now the magic starts happening. They are so good that way. Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth. He says we need to bring flavor and spice into people's lives through the gospel of Christ. The tragedy is very simple. It's this. People have often connected Christianity with precisely the opposite in other words, they don't think we were capable of bringing any spice or joy into lives. We're just capable of telling them what they can't do We're against, and what we're against instead of who we're for and what we're for. They've connected Christianity with a, with a, with a faith that takes flavor out of life. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said this. He said, I might, I might have entered ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. So we are called to flavor people's lives. In the past, the church has been against so many things that it looked like that we were just out there to make sure that, hey, if it's fun, you can't do it. Now, in fairness, there are some things that are fun you probably shouldn't be doing. But we shouldn't just be known for, well, you're against this and against this and against this and against this. You know, we see this in politics. You don't see what these people are for. They're just against the other person who's evil and is gonna cause you all to go, we're all gonna die and go to hell because of them. But instead of, this is what I'm for. Shouldn't we be known for what we're for? Now, I know you got to deal with the other stuff, but that shouldn't be the predominant thing. See, that's the impression that I used to have about Christians, that you all just against stuff, before I started dating my wife. And I got around her friends. And these people actually had the unmitigated gall to laugh. Faith, I was raised and you didn't do that, you sat there on those hard benches and you got on your, you got on and you bent, you bent on your knees. And I had a bad knee early on. It was miserable. But see, I got around these people and they actually smiled, laughed, had a great time. And it kind of opened my eyes a bit. I said, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't how I perceived how things are supposed to be. I I use the word perceived. This isn't my perception of things. You're supposed to be stuffy and uptight and very high church. Well, when I got around her friends, I saw that, no, that's not Christianity. Christianity, you know, I, I've watched, I haven't seen the latest season yet because I just haven't had time. The Chosen, one of the, my favorite things about The Chosen is how they depict Jesus. He doesn't go around moping or like he's some emo. I mean, he's actually looks, you know, they got him, they project him as enjoying life, and that's how Jesus walked. Do you think Jesus walked around? Yeah, like Billy Goat Grump, you know. No, Jesus, he loved life. He loved the people. It wasn't always a bed of roses. But as Christians, how are we projecting to people? Hey, you want to come to church, Here, a boring sermon? It's a real joy. You really should come. You want to come to Jesus? Hey, when you do, you're not going to be able to do all this fun stuff you're doing now. But, you know. Why don't we focus on the positive with Jesus? we should be having as much fun or more fun than anyone in life. Yesterday, we went off-roading. We had a, a good time. Some of y'all still drive kind of slow, but we'll, you know, we'll, we're working on that, uh, but we had a good time. We had a lot of fun. Went to a great Velvet Elvis Man pizza. He doesn't get much better. Than that. we had a good time. Got some pictures to show it, but see, we shouldn't be the ones who are looking like we're moping through life. We should have joy. We should have peace. But if people don't see that, why would they want to come to a a faith that makes you like a grump? Or that your your job is to make sure that everything around you is perfect and that no one's doing anything that you don't think they should be doing. I don't know. One time years ago, I was dating a young lady way before my wife. And um, I went to church with her. And the funny thing, it was called Friendship Blank Church. But the title was Friendship. And I go in there, and all they did for the six weeks I went there was talk about how horrible the Jews were. I'm just like, I'm like, really? Friendship? (laughs) And we're just talking about how horrible the Jews are? They literally did that. And that was just another straw, you know, that almost broke the camel's back about me and faith. I'm like, well, I don't want to, if I'm going to hate people, I can hate people without going to church. (laughs) I was pretty good at it that time in my life, by the way. I didn't need the church's help. See, I guarantee you one thing, when you love Jesus, when you love Jesus, your life will have flavor, which needs to be spread to other people. Many people are living a bland life. They need the flavor of Jesus in their lives. Jesus talks about, he says, hey, if salt loses its flavor, he says, when this happens, it's good for nothing except to be thrown on the ground and walked on. Now, technically, sodium chloride salt can't lose its saltiness but there is, because it's very highly resilient, but what will happen, and by the word, when Jesus used this, uses the word, uh, when he talks about losing its flavor, it means is defiled. That's what it literally means. Now, what salt can't do is it can't technically lose its chemical compound that makes it what it is, but what it can do is it's going to be so mixed into other substances that it doesn't do anything. For instance, take a glass of water, add a cup of salt to it and taste it. Think you're going to taste the salt? Take that same cup of salt and put it in 50 gallons of water. Are you going to taste it? Probably not. Add it to 100 gallons, and it's so diluted it's not there any longer for the most part. And It technically is, but you won't taste it. The salt from Jesus' day came from salt marshes, and salts at that time had a lot of impurities in them. And if it had too many, it would be useless. When salt was stored, the salt that was close to the ground would become useless because it would leach into the ground and the moisture would would just basically ruin it. Christians can lose their saltiness in two manners. Number one, if we're too mixed into the world. In other words, we get so inundated with the world that we, we eventually are so impure that we have nothing to offer or by never coming out of the salt shaker. When he talks about using this word flavor, it's also translated fool or foolishness. In other words, when salt, he says, loses its flavor, it's useless. The same word is used in Romans chapter 1 and verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became salty or they became fools. Also, we see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1:20, 1 where it says, "Where is the wise man? Or where is the uh, excuse me? Where is the wise man? Where is the expert of the Mosaic law? Where is the debater of the age? Has God not made the wisdom of the world salty or foolishness? Foolish? See, what it means is to lose its flavor. So the wisdom of the world loses its flavor, and this is what he's talking about. Salt must be mixed in the right proportions to be effective." you ever had a great meal sitting in front of you accidentally the salt shaker you just accidentally dumped a bunch of salt on it you're like oh man that twenty dollar steak's ruined because i just salted it to death or if you just put too little too much can ruin a great dinner too little doesn't have any effect let's look at verses 14 and 15 says this you are the light of the world a city located on a hill cannot be hidden People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Next thing we see is we're called to influence by courage. Jesus calls us to be light of the, the light of the world. Light does several things. A couple of the main things it does is it exposes flaws. For instance, would you like to go into an operating room for surgery, and the doctor says, you know, we're going to save some on the electric bill. We're going to turn the lights off and do this no, 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 we're not doing that. We want to illuminate, we want to expose expose uh, flaws, sorry, I was going to say thaws, and we want to illuminate the path. So, you know, most of us, except down Fry Boulevard and in town sometimes, you know, we got the driving lights on our cars, and a lot of times people forget to turn on their lights, and so you come up behind them, they have no lights. But ideally, we drive with lights so you can be seen and so you can see. Well, people get uncomfortable when they stand in front of a light and things are brought to light that they're trying to hide. A nightclub. They're dark. Why? They're trying to hide things. Whenever people are unfaithful to their spouse, they do it in secret. They're trying to hide it. They don't want to get caught. They don't just parade around town and say, look, I'm cheating on my spouse. Uh, They don't do that. They try to hide it. They sneak. See, we often get upset by how people act, for instance, but we must remember they don't always have the light of Jesus to show them which, what is right and what is wrong. And if you pull Christians out of society, if you pull them out of society, who's going to show them the right, what's right and what's wrong? Because what ends up happening is what's happening in our country now is it's mob rule. The ones with the loudest voices are the ones who set the rules. And we're seeing this now. We are picking people for jobs, for instance, that aren't qualified but by some genetics or some racial component. That's what we're looking at these days. That's what's called being called woke. We are not following. We, and so you pull Christians out of this and it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Well, the light of the gospel will reveal what truth is and what is masquerading as truth. We're teaching our young kids these days some crazy stuff, I just saw a, a deal the other day where there's a, a gentleman who dresses like a lady. He teaches, and he's made sure that he's very voluptuous, obnoxious, by the way. And the school's saying the kids, that's a woman. And then, hey, Jane, are you here today? You know, he's taking role. And these kids have got to be like, what? They're not stupid, but this stuff's being drilled into them. Well, the gospel will reveal what is truth. And what is masquerading as truth? And there's a lot of masquerading going on today. Have you ever walked around the dark, in the dark and stubbed your toe? Or ran into something? Every once in a while I have to go into the office and the lights are off, like, okay, I know where things are and I forget a chair has moved there and I almost trip and kill myself going over the chair because it's like the lights clear across the room. I can do this and it's it's that way. Or at night, you know, you stub your toe. One of the things I've done is I bought these light switch covers that have night lights on them. They are great at light stuff, so I don't do that anymore. But we, we are to help guide people by the light of the gospel. We are called to be that light that shines the path that leads them to Christ. So Christians must make the way clear in how they live. Christians must, of necessity, be an example. Because if we're not the example, who's going to be? One of the things that, which this world needs more than anything else is people who are willing to take the courage to focus on goodness, to focus on God, and to be willing to be an example. We need people who are willing to shine the light of truth on what's not true. We need to have people that are willing to stand on the truth in love and let people know this is craziness. Why are we following following this? Why are we allowing this to be taught? This is patently untrue, not only from the gospel, but from a scientific standpoint for people who claim they like science. See, here's what I want us to see in these two verses. First of all, it takes courage to influence others for Jesus. It really does. I have to sometimes say, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. You know, when I first became a Christian, it was really hard because I felt like my example was not very good many times. And then here I'm going to tell them about Jesus, and they're going to say, yeah, but you did this, 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 and this, and this. And believe me, I did this, 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 and this, and this. I struggled for a long time. But even today as a minister of the gospel sometimes it's like okay you can do this you can do this i know it's not easy it takes courage to do it because when you stand up and you put yourself out there you will be scrutinized but do you have the courage to say it's worth it when you're a christian it's scary to do that because you know why we're not perfect and if you love jesus you're keenly aware of that you're not one of those ones look at me i'm perfect you know i I never make mistakes When you're the light of the world, you have to be visible, and visibility takes courage. You know, to be a leader, you're going to get shot at, figuratively, sometimes, and literally. It takes courage to be willing to lead. Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he says, no one takes a light and puts a lampshade or puts it it underneath a a, a basket so no one can see it. Light's intended to illuminate the whole room. And when he says, you are the light of the world, the intention is that we illuminate the world around us for Jesus Christ. When we light a candle or a flashlight, it's not just for ourselves. It's meant to benefit others by shedding light where they need to see. Christianity is something that is meant to be seen. It has to be seen. Someone once said this, they said, there can be no such thing as secret discipleship, for the secrecy destroys their discipleship, or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. So there's no such thing as Christians in the secret service. There's no such thing as an undercover Christian. There can't be. One's faith should be visible to everyone around them. Further, faith should not just be visible in the church. Faith our faith should be evident to everyone everywhere we go. It shouldn't stop when we walk out the door or our faith is not faith. People have to see it. It should be more visible in everything that we do. Whether we go to the grocery store, whether we're at the restaurant, whether we're at the gas pump, wherever we are, our faith should be evident. It should be visible in how we treat people and how we conduct business and how we deal with things around us. We are called to be the light of the world. It doesn't say to be the light of the church. but to be the light of the world. Let's look at verse 16 for a final thought. It says this. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your father who is in heaven so the third observation on influence is we're called to influence by directing here's where the pharisees got in trouble these guys actually did good deeds they gave they did a lot of good stuff but they did it for the wrong reason it was to look at me when they would give they would make sure that people heard their money going into the into the bucket if you will When they prayed, during times of public prayer, they made sure that they were in public so people could see, wow, listen to that prayer. That's amazing. Wow, look at how how holy that person is. Jesus said this. He said, let your light shine before men. Why? So they could see your good deeds. And the end is where a lot of people mess up. Give glory to the Father. So when we go out, we can do a deed that's good, but it can be bad. When it turns good to bad is when that good is done for my glory, my benefit, shining my light about me, myself, and I. Our light should point our lives, Our li- excuse me, our lives should point others to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what our light should be pointing to. When people see things in us, we should be quick to say to God be the glory. Because before I knew Jesus, here's where I used to be. When I worked at the factory, when I gave my life to Christ, when I was working at Square D, over a period of time, people started noticing changes that I really hadn't thought of. I mean, I knew as a Christian, you're not supposed to cuss, okay? I didn't know a lot about being a Christian, but I knew that was one of the things. So I really worked hard on that. And one day, people started coming. They were, I noticed you're not cussing. And I said, well, yeah, aren't I good? <laughs> Man, look at me. <laughs> you dirty sinner. Quit saying stuff. No, I I told him, I said, you know, it's my relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that God doesn't want me doing it, so I'm really working hard. And by his grace, basically, he's helping me. I'm trying to bring this, I'm trying to bring glory to God. And so it gave me an opportunity to, when they asked, well, why aren't you cussing? I said, well, here's why. Or why aren't you out getting tanked up on the weekends? Like I told you before, Drunk Story Monday, where you got all drunk on Saturday, and then you, you know, and you come in Monday and talk about your exploits. I didn't have any of those. They thought I was weird. I said, No, I remember my weekend, and it was good. 1 Peter 2 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires and to do battle that do battle against your soul and maintain good conduct among the non Christians so that they, excuse me, so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears to God be the glory. People need to see Jesus before they want to hear about Jesus. And so they have to see him. True Christians we act, we act to glorify God. We do what we do to bring other people to Jesus. We do other people. We do this to other people for other people so they can see what it means to follow Jesus. Look, nobody wants to follow a hypocrite, okay? And by the way, remember, a hypocrite's not somebody who's struggling, a hypocrite who is just just pretending. We shouldn't have to walk into this building and put on a mask that says, look, I'm a Christian today. Oh, leave it at the door. We got a storage place you can put it so nobody sees it during the week. We have to let people see this. My question for you this morning is this, who are you influencing? And are you shining the light of Jesus to other people around you? Are you being the salt of the earth? Who are you influencing? Now, in a way, that's not totally a fair question because you're influencing people you don't even know you're influencing, either to God or away from God. Do you want to have a lasting impact way beyond your years? You know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm pushing 59 now. Man, I can't believe it. I know, I'm, I'm getting old, folks. I'm getting old. In second service, you know, I am old. But anyway, um, I'm a spring chicken here. But, you know, the more I think about something more and more, and I think about what's going to be left behind, When I was young, I didn't think about it. But, you know, you start realizing how many summers you have left, probably, in all probability, and it starts to become important. Influencing others to come to Jesus is a way for you to last way beyond your years. Remember in 1969, I was a little kid then. I was a wee little lad, but I do remember it. When Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, okay? Now, his footprints are still there. And they're going to be there thousands from years, a thousand years from now. Your influence could last that long too as you continue to influence people for Christ. Being an influence requires purposeful living. And are you living with purpose right now? This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God sent his son. His name was Jesus. And he came here so that we could have eternal life through him. Jesus gave his all for us. He gave us us an opportunity that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. And I pray that if you've not experienced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll come forward this morning as we sing our song of decision. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And maybe you're struggling and you need some prayer. If you want to come forward, one of our elders or myself would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
0: As this, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. The first hint of sacrifice in the Bible co- occurs in the third chapter of Genesis where it mentions that God made clothing for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. An animal had to be slain so man's physical body could be covered. The last sacrifice we find recorded in the Bible was that of Jesus himself. Here again, the innocent had to die for the guilty, this time to cover our spiritual body. Even the Apostle Paul speaks of putting on a covering when he speaks of putting on Christ. In the Garden of Eden, the animal skins covered Adam and Eve's shame. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood was made available to us to cover our sin and our shame. Sacrifice means to give up something For the benefit of someone to surrender, if you will. Jesus surrendered his physical life. He gave it up for our benefit. Now here's the thing when a sacrifice is made, it costs something. He calls us calls us to make a sacrifice surrender something, and that something is our life, surrendered in living for him. Salvation is free, certainly, but to receive its benefits, we must be willing to pay the price of a surrendered life lived for him. As We gather at the table, the communion table today, we once again are reminded of this. Recommit your life to him who sacrificed his all for you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Father, this is our prayer. as We come and partake once again of these emblems signifying your great sacrifice for us. Truly, May we surrender all once again. In Jesus' name.
1: the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. Um, Roger's group's meeting this evening. We'll have an elder preacher meeting today at 3.30 for the elders and preachers. We uh, have Jerry has all of his uh, group going on this evening. We have a leadership team meeting Tuesday evening. All of our studies take place this week. You can see those on the calendar. Primetime, we're going to be at Native Wings <laughs> this Friday. <laughs> won't mention anybody's name. But anyway, we're meeting this Friday. If you would like to go, please make sure you sign up before the end of business on Tuesday because only the first 30 people sign up can go. We, we have limited space. Last I saw, we're at like 26, I think. But anyway, so first 30 can go. Um, we're also doing ministry team sign-up sheets. They're in, in the foyer here. If you are currently serving, so hear me here so we don't get messed up. If you're currently serving in an area and you want to continue serving, you don't have to sign anything. If you want out of that area, please sign up in that area and say, there's a place you can indicate, hey, I need, a, I need a break. If you would like to do something new, sign up on that new sheet, whether you're doing other things or not. And we also have a sign up on, the, on, the, on our website also you can get to. Our faith promise, what a blessing. We closed out uh, with 38 pledges for all, about 35000 almost $600. That's the highest total we've had in the last 10 years for that. We've had a couple years there where we had more donors, but this year we have more donations, more pledges than we've had in the past. So as those monies come in, they go right to the missions that we support. Um, let me think, Ladies Spa, Mark Saturday the 25th at 10 a.m. They're going to, go to, to, uh, they're going to go to Lori Jacobs' home and you can see an announcement about that. So you ladies, if you'd like to be involved in that, please do so. And Operation Christmas Child still accepting donations that you can see that in our bulletin also. All right, on the uh, on the back of your bulletin, we have, or on the inside of your bulletin, it depends on how your bulletin's folded. We have our prayer concerns, and we're, pray, we're praising God for um, His faithfulness. This past year, FCC members packed almost almost eleven hundred shoe boxes, and that's amazing. There were twelve thousand three hundred throughout our region, and we had a, you know we had eleven hundred almost eleven hundred of them. Uh, we want you to take note of all the people we have in our prayer concerns. Also, Fred Niece asked that we be in prayer for his friend Mike, who's struggling with with a life-threatening health issue. So please keep in, in your prayers. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll give you a moment to focus your hearts on these prayers. We want to make sure you remember Operation Christmas Child and also TCMI. And real quick, too, Kate Frank, uh, has been last I heard she's doing okay with the surgery that she had. So keep her in your prayers. So let's take a moment to lift our hearts together to the Lord in silence, and then we will have our closing prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could come together today to worship. And Lord, we have a lot of people we've been lifting up in prayer. We ask that we continue to do that. We thank you for the organizations that we support and for the work that they do for you. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we indeed are salt and light to the world around us, that we're seeking to influence people to Jesus and for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
0: this morning. Have a great and wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.